I'm just so excited. I, I feel like I started writing in Halifax. I started writing Adele. I started to figure out what my voice was. And I just had such a positive experience in Halifax. And so I, it just feels really wonderful to get to come back with something I'm so proud of and, and share that. Hello and welcome to the 2023 Atlantic International Film Festival podcast. In this episode, we will discuss a film that explores modern emotional discontent with a quirky but familiar alternative reality. With Love at a Major Organ is set in a world where hearts are made of objects and suppressing emotions is self-care. Annabelle, a lonely woman, rips out her heart for the man she loves, only to discover that he's become intoxicated with it and decides to run away. I was joined by writer Julia Lederer, director Kim Albright, producer Madeline Davis, and star Anna Maguire. Where did you get the idea for the play that eventually became this this movie? There was this love letter writing contest in The Walrus, like it would have been over 10 years ago. And I was sort of like at a point where I wanted to start something new as a writer. I feel like it was in like 2011 or something. And I just was like, what would it be like to just write a love letter? And so I just wrote the play. There are multiple letters, but I wrote sort of what was the first letter of the play. And then I performed it somewhere and got a bit of a response from it. And I was like, okay, so then what's the second letter? What's the third letter? Like, who is she writing to? And I um, take the subway a lot in Toronto. (laughs) And also, I'm a really big fan of, well, one playwright who I love is Sarah Rule. And she does a lot with emotion and magic realism. And uh, I was thinking about her work too, and just the idea that you might pull your heart out felt so um, effective symbolically in terms of what I wanted to to look at and explore and sort of the issue that I often have in the world where I don't know, it's so hard to know what to do with your heart, <laughs> like whether that's with another person or just engaging with the world around you in terms of allowing yourself to be vulnerable and emotionally invested and 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 it's just a lot. Feelings are a lot and they can be wonderful and they can be difficult. And so I just, yeah, I was thinking about that question too, um, in terms of writing the play. Yeah. So like for Julia, for you and Kim and then Madeline and eventually Anna, I guess, what was the process of getting the the stage play and adapting it for, um, for a movie? Yeah, it was quite a long process. And part of that was down to COVID too, because that kind of, um, delayed things, but I think for the better. So um, we all met in 2017, approximately. And Anna had introduced us. um, So Anna and Julia were working on a project together, a short film together called It's Nothing. So Anna also directs, writes and directs. At Finn as well. Oh, right. Yeah. In 2019. 2019. So um, yeah, so those those guys are working on something together. So they knew one another. And then I had lived in the UK for a good chunk of time and was moving back to Canada. And then I had asked Anna if she knew of any writers or of any material or, you know, I just wanted to kind of sink my teeth into something coming back here, back home to Canada. And then, so she introduced me to Julia and like Julia had, I think you were still touring with the play. Like it was still very new and fresh. And then we met up and talked about this idea of like, oh, well, is there, is there life, you know, in the, in the film version of this? And then, so that, that was kind of the genesis of it. And then, um, and then I'd met Madeline through um, a producer here in Vancouver called Lori Lazinski. And um, so we kind of, 
you know, all met up and sort of formed this team way back when. And then the development of the project kind of started then and and there were deadlines we were applying to and it gave us sort of something to focus our energies on and and work on the script and um and there were you know development grants sort of thrown in along the way um so it kind of gave us uh more time um, and finances to kind of keep developing it um and like there's the there was the Whistler Screenwriting Lab, and then I was at the Canadian Film Center and Women in the Director's Chair. So these these were sort of further opportunities to kind of keep developing and and thinking on the film. Um, yeah, so it was kind of quite a long a long process of about like a good sort of five years of developing the script. And uh, like the film is really hard to put in a box because it's kind of like fundamentally as a romance, and there's like dark sci-fi elements and you know kind of there's a some things I found really familiar like the emotion people how people were dealing with emotions and kind of modern life but also then you had those more fantastical moments with you know the the concept of the hearts so what was it like building that world obviously you build a world on a stage but how do you how do you build that world on screen hmm good question (laughs) I don't know you just do it um (laughs) I mean, um, it was super, I love the fact that it was a bit of everything, you know, there's a bit of comedy, there's a bit of um, magical realism, um, and, and sort of slightly futuristic elements. But I think I think at the end of the day, it was really just about it feeling as grounded as possible. And, you know, it, it, it is a world in a way you know, apart from the heart removal business, um, that is basically like today, just, just, you know, just maybe slightly pushed. So um, I think from the get go, it was really about like, okay, we need the audience to connect to the material and connect to these characters. So it just has to sort of feel kind of normal. And so that was sort of, um, I think the kind of grounding force between it all of it all. And then, and then we can throw in little kind of crazy things like, yeah, you can rip your heart out of your chest or like, yeah, she's recording her, 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 her uh, feelings on this tape recorder and the lights change. And we go into this whole other world. I think if you kind of ground the majority of it, then it lets you sort of jump into those other spaces with ease and with an audience kind of with you. For me too, like one of the things that was the most exciting about the idea was was thinking about like, you know, the play is three characters. So who's Annabelle's friend? Like who's she friends with? Who are her parents? Where does she work? Like none of that is in the play. It's really just centered around these three characters. And so getting to like make that world bigger and also in reaction to that, figure out the rules of a bigger world, a bigger version of that world that does resemble our own um, was an exciting sort of transition. And um, I always feel like I try to like write from a place that's like a sidestep outside of reality. So you can just turn things up a little bit and everything is recognizable, but there's something that is a little bit sharper or more heightened or something that allows us to sort of like look at our world a little bit differently. And so it was challenging and fun to try to make that transition to screen as well, because there's so many more elements to it in a film than there is in a three person play. And Anna, Playing Annabelle as a as a free spirit crushed by a world of conformity, or at least battling against a world of conformity. How much of yourself did you put into that? I mean, none at all. It was really hard as a super conformist person. It was just pretty difficult uh, <laughs> to find that. Um, I really had to do a lot of research. Uh, no, <laughs> um, yeah, it was uh, it was challenging. It was challenging, though. I mean, I'm only half joking because I think that. Annabelle isn't very happy 
even though she, I think she wants to understand what it means to, to, to find peace or find happiness. And I think by the end of the film, she, if not completely understands that is, is part of the way there, uh, has, has, has ha had a big realization or shift that will allow her to, to, to move forward in a new direction. But I think at the beginning of the film, she is really frustrated and at her wit's end, actually. And, and so that was really, really hard because to, to, to be in that space and to, to hold that space whilst also having a sense of hope, uh, because I think she is an inherently hopeful person, uh, was, was, uh, was challenging because she, there is a darkness there too. Well, I guess that's the point, right? With uh, everything is as opposite. If you have light, you therefore have uh, the equal amount of dark. I really like the party scene. You know, that kind of really came to like how different she was or how different she'd be, become from her friend groups with the with the um, cheesy puffs and everything. It was a great visual. Julia, were you pulling kind of from personal experience as well as like, you know, friends change over time and groups change? Were you, you know, that, that was kind of a lot of the real world element that kind of was really identifiable or really relatable, I suppose. Yeah, I think that a lot of friendships change and a lot of, and I was thinking a lot about like, especially with social media, it's so easy to keep in touch with like everyone you've ever met or like been in a class with. And I was sort of like, what is, what are the things that maintain relationships? Because inevitably both people are gonna change and that can be wonderful. And I've had friendships change immeasurably in positive ways or in ways that they just transition and they're still just as strong. Um, but I think sometimes there is there can be moments of like, are we just staying friends because we've always been friends, but it's actually like a reach for both of us. And is it easier to acknowledge that or do you keep doing it? Like, I, I don't know. It, it's interesting to me to think about friendships in that way a little bit um, because they can be like the most significant relationships in my life a lot of the time. And they have been, and I'm really proud of that and happy about that. But um, they're also challenging and just as complex as any other relationship. And so that's definitely something that I was drawing from. Yeah. One of the lines I really loved was um, where uh, the mother asks her son, you know, what did you do today? And he says, mainly clicking and scrolling, which kind of was really harsh and made me feel like that describes most jobs these days, so, which was amazing. I kind of kind of really summed everything up, but I really liked how you captured the, um, the essence of a commute and uh, the boring kind of humdrum, uh, how... how inhumane a commute can be for, for, for a lot of people. Um, and I guess that was captured in terms of performance, in terms of how you shot it, in terms of like the design and, and also in terms of costume. So how did you go about kind of um, keeping it anchored in a, in, a really, in a really relatable experience for the audience in those kinds of scenes, I guess? Well, didn't Madeline, you, so many of, of the crew was based in um, Madeline's knowledge of the crew in, in Vancouver, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of people that I'd worked with before. And I think that as soon as we started, as soon as Kim and I got started working together, and we started getting funding coming in, I, I think our wardrobe stylist, I, we first talked to about the project in 2018, maybe, like, it was just kind of immediately, I, I sort of started thinking about who would be good people to bring on. And a lot of those people ended up staying with the project. Yeah, I, I, I really had to lean on Madeline for this, actually, because this was my first production in Vancouver in BC and and like and I had done a little something in Toronto years ago but this is essentially my first big thing here in Canada and I didn't know anyone 
really like apart from Madeline <laughs> and we hadn't even we hadn't even like done a project like as in shot a film together yet so this was like really my first um film shooting here and so and I had none of those relationships existing already so I really had to lean on to Madeline and her contacts and and you know her 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 ideas and thoughts as to who like I'd get on with and who'd be right for the project and you know who'd be wanting to do the project as well and yeah so that was that was all down to Madeline. Um, what was the experience like shooting in, in BC? It was great. I mean, I have to say it was hard not not having those relationships in place already. So you're kind of just like feeling each other out and, and learning about one another, like basically on set um, and in, in pre-production as well. But I mean, I thought, you know, we had a really young, vibrant, enthusiastic crew. And, you know, and it was a really tight budget. So everyone really had to, you know, be resourceful and work so hard. And, but, but I think, you know, everyone was really hungry and, you know, we really worked hard to find people that were in love with a project just as much as us, because that was really what was going to sort of sustain them from beginning to end. You know, I'm really proud of, of the whole team and, and, you know, from, from pre-production all the way into post. You know, it was a it was a long journey in post production as well, and and you know, again, finding like minded individuals to sort of see us to the finish line. And there were some really like kind of purposeful framing and color choices in terms of the grade and everything through the film. Did you kind of have any particular inspiration, or was that kind of vision clear? And was it you know was that linked to the play in terms of of how things were too? There were certain colors that were important to kind of carry on into the film from the play but in terms of like the so for instance like purple is is her color and so her jacket and i wanted to use this be inspired by purple and use this color when we kind of go into her imagination like when she's doing waltzing with george in the art gallery or when she's recording her tape recording tape recorded messages like not just purple but kind of other colors mixed in um but having that kind of base of purple um, yeah, and I worked quite closely with Leo Harim, our, our DP, and Megan McCauley, production designer, and also Dave Tomiak, who did our color. And, and in terms of like, you know, what is the, the, the color landscape of the film, you know, when she is sort of living her best life or at the beginning of the film and, and, and when she kind of, when we go into the sort of magical realist scenes uh when she when she's recording uh the, her messages or when she's having the dancing so you know that they all had sort of a different palette but then what does it look like when she's ripped her heart out so like it was it was we had to think about all those different kind of the, the timeline for annabelle but also how she contrasts the world in which she's living in um so we tried to sort of really lean into you know what vancouver has to offer in terms of the gray and the bleak skies and the grim kind of february weather and you know and lean into that and kind of i think in grade as well we even enhanced that even more like the gray kind of we added a bit of green to the sky and and um but but also always kind of comparing you know, how does she stand out within that or the scenes, her scenes in contrast to those scenes. So we really sort of had to look at it sort of like a, like a board, you know, like, like the colors um, of the whole film and, and look at the different scenes within that entire kind of uh, mosaic, you know, um, which is fun. I love that. I, let's, uh, it was really cool to kind of think about the palette at the outset and then and then bring that into shooting and then also kind of push it further in the grade. I love that bit. 
we've got to talk about the hearts because obviously that's like one of the key concepts of the movie. But also, I found that the the, the scene where kind of the guy on on the ocean front pulls his heart out built so much intrigue from that first moment because you're kind of going, "What the hell's going on? You know, Ooh. what is that glowing color <laughs> that's happening?" So, um, how did you kind of take that? concept of the heart from the play and then kind of make that work because you use the color from the heart really effectively to kind of um, uh, show particular transitions and kind of, um, you know, uh, you use the, the kind of exterior shots with the light in the room changing. Tell me a little bit about the, about how that was kind of de- developed as a concept. Well, I mean, the colors were always part of the play from the beginning, right? The purple plaid jacket was like main prop. That was like yeah. the, the only thing that was immovable, I think, right? Is that was that in like <laughs> It was like she has to rip her heart out and there needs to be a purple plaid jacket. Everything else can change. Like, yeah. Change everything um, else, but those two things must remain. <laughs> but it is quite different, right? Like the play is a starting place for some of the main characters and those two ideas, but the film, like I think is and I think this is a great thing, is like wildly different. And we see multiple hearts and their objects in the film, which is different from the play, which came from from Kim and from Madeline in developing the script. Yeah, and I knew off the bat that this wasn't going to be a film where, like, you see from the front someone's, like, hand going in. Like, Like, it wasn't going to be that sort of film. And so I knew from the outset that, okay, the man on the cliff, shout out to William Vaughn, who plays our emotional (laughs) man on the cliff. Yeah, I loved his weeping. so that I knew, okay, well, we have to. <laughs> I love his weeping. It's so good. You see him from behind, and his weeping is just so great. Just sucks you in. Um, I knew that that okay. The first five minutes really has to grab the audience, and it has to be intriguing, a little bit mysterious. So how can we best do that? And so I thought, well. And I also knew because I don't want to see this hand reaching into a chest and bloody and guts and hearing the ribs crack and all that, that we needed to find a language to best uh, represent this heart removal because we see it one, two, three, like at least four times in the film. So what's the most consistent and best way of showing this to the audience so they get it? Like, okay, oh, that's that's what's going to happen again. Oh my God. So we I think we set that up at the first, you know, with, with emotional man on the cliff. You see for pretty much all the heart removals, no, all the heart removals in the film, you see it from behind and you, you see like, you know, and it can probably speak to the body language, but you kind of, you know, see someone hunched over and then you hear it and then it's a musical cue and then it, and then it results in a light. Like you see a light kind of emanating, be it from a room or um, outside or from across the cliff or whatever it is, you kind of see this light. And so I kind of knew, well, we have to sort of set this formula right from the scratch, right from the beginning. So we kind of, so the audience knows what's coming. Um, and and I thought that was like a cost effective way of doing it as well versus like the blood and guts. And I just thought, oh, that's not this sort of film. That's not kind of um, the tone. <laughs> I'd rather be a bit more tasteful. Yeah, not, not body horror. We weren't going. Yeah, to no, exactly. No. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yeah, no. Great, great film. You know. Just <laughs> different. Just a different film. Different approach. <laughs> yeah. Not our film. Um, and I also I love I love the um the kind of the fact that everyone's heart was slightly different. You know, there was kind of a slight design different uh, in terms of uh, what it was. I suppose they were, you know, the objects they were, and uh, and also how you transported it with the um 
the tape recorder in in the kind of a cooler and everything. Uh, it was there was like kind of lots of creative choices that kind of really fitted in that world, but weren't necessarily obvious. So you know, kind of you obviously went down a thought process. So I, I, yeah, when it came to kind of like picking hearts and how you transport a heart, where were where were your heads? <laughs> that cooler came from you, Julia. Yeah, yeah. The cooler was in was in is in all versions of the script it just seemed like that's the way they do it i don't know why that was why yeah that's that's just how it is um, it makes sense I, yeah. if i had to transport a heart in a kind of ad hoc way it would definitely be in a cooler i mean yeah it's a good you know if it ain't break break fix it well i think for the heart objects i knew there, there were some that were kind of in in place from early days like from the play really like the lantern and the paper heart and i think like so for instance emotional man um his heart we, we there were certain rules we had to kind of abide by i think um and this sort of stemmed also from leo and production designer leo's our dp and our production designer megan because she had to make it and so and, and leo had to make it glow so we kind of had to rule out certain ideas because, uh, you know, it needed to sort of realistically seem it could come from someone's chest. So it had to sort of be approximately sort of heart shaped size and needed to glow. So it basically needed to be kind of somewhat transparent. Um, and yeah, and Megan needed to be able to make it or source it. A lot of it came from not wanting to do it in visual effects, like wanting to have a practical heart that we could see that had a light inside it. And I think that having those constraints really meant that I feel like we all kind of had to work together to think about how to fit within those constraints so that we could actually have a heart-sized object that was a real object that could fit a light inside it that could glow on camera. Yeah. Yeah. Lots, lots of lists of possibilities sent back and yeah. forth for sure. I actually think that was one of the biggest challenges come to yeah. think of it, right? Like yeah. thinking back to like, we're scrambling up until, cause I think we were shooting that scene, uh, you know, with, with the vase heart on day two. So we had, we had to just suss it out really quite early, but we only really figured it out a couple of days before we were shooting. That was a mini heart attack. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm I'm glad you did you didn't go for special effects. I quite like the practical element to it. I thought it was it was more engaging to have those real objects. But one of the other things I loved was the the clinic, you know, where people go to suppress um different emotions. It was I, I find it kind of really dark and really interesting, but also it kind of was reminiscent of of self-help or health spas, I guess. So like t tell me a little bit about the inspiration for it, but also how you kind of put that together. Cause I thought it was one of my favorite parts of the movie. I can't remember what point, I feel like that came in my memory of, of it was like halfway through the development process or something. Like we were still finding it. It was after Whistler that it came out. It was after, right. Yeah. And it was like, how can we, cause I think a big transition was like, what things can we do that are like very visually delicious? Um, that film can do so much better than, well, I don't want to say better, but does with so much more focus, um, the theater. And so in that adaptation, which is really, it's, the film is very much its own, is its own entity. The play is very different, but that was totally new in terms of the film. And part of that was like, what is something that, that we can do, that we can see that is a dial turned up from self-help now that is not totally like, yeah, you're like, wow, that's a, that's an intense idea. But you're also like, I can see that happening. Like, give it a few years. I can see it happening. And, and so just, just to get to do something like that was really fun. And also to just think about just the details of it were really fun to figure out like the different floors and what happens in each room and, and all of that. 
um, for me anyway. And then the visuals were all like, I don't know how you all figured that out. And it looks, it looks so cool. So yeah. That was actually um, a disused, correct me if my, I'm wrong, Madeline, but that was an, a mental institution. So when we were wrecking this place, oh uh, man, it was some of the rooms that we didn't use or feature. And you just sort of look at the equipment in there and think, oh my gosh, what happened in here? You know, 50 some yeah. years ago. Anyhow, we really wanted to lean into the to the darkness of this, uh, uh, you know, and, and really push the dark element of the small house of big fields. And you could just, and we could have so much fun with it. And I really just, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And so chatting with Leo, our DP, I said, okay, I want each room to have a very different look and, and sort of color palette and feel. And so you have that one room, the meditation room where, you know, it's practically blinding. And so, you know, and it's like white and everyone, it looks very clinical. And in um, and other rooms where, you know, you have this yellow light kind of pouring in and it's kind of dark and gloomy, but at the same time, it, it, had, it had to feel grounded, but we, we knew, you know, there, this, is, this, is, this is where we can really push things visually and, and, um, and, and let the audience go places where maybe they, they didn't expect to go. Um, and it is messed up. I mean, even the receptionist, Sandra, you think like, what, what is going on with her? Like she's, she welcomes them in such a, such a weird way. And so, you know, she's the, she's the kind of gatekeeper to this world. Um, and I think sort of sets the tone quite nicely for what you're about to experience in those rooms. Um, and even going down the elevator, <laughs> I think Annabelle says like, where do I start? And, you know, she's confused going into this as well. So, you know, and, and, you know, is, is very much sort of the audience's eyes as, as they're about to experience it. Um, so there's little kind of breadcrumbs that kind of I think lead you into the experience fully, um, thanks to like the performances and the actors. Um, but that was fun. I loved, I loved shooting those scenes and, and seeing it on the screen. Anna, what was that like for you in terms of performance? Obviously, every room's got different emotions. It was kind of a, I guess it must have been keep you on your toes with each kind of different setup yeah i mean it was it, it was really fun to be honest although yeah thinking back to that location it had very dark energy there was mm. a, and i think that comes across in the in the um in the actual film because there's something very sinister about it and actually the history i don't know the full history of that particular building but i do know that things that i gleaned and it seems to be a location that is used a lot in vancouver um, and that there's a real dark history about the, the way people who were kept there were treated and then how people were treated when they were sort of, when the doors were opened up and everyone was turned out into the streets. Um, so, I, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's got this, its own energy, uh, which I hope that we honored. Oh, de definitely. It felt like Black Mirror-esque kind of yeah. moment for the movie. So yeah, I definitely got that impression on screen. So. <laughs> And then another element that you had that was kind of reality dialed up slightly, I guess, or slightly ahead was the the AI app that coaches people through life, um, almost telling them what to say and think and everything. So where did that come from? Similar, like it's just like what's one step further than what we have, because when you think about it, like remember when doing therapy online seemed like totally out there idea because therapy is an in-person thing. <laughs> And, and I know COVID changed that a lot, but well before COVID, there were apps that were starting to appear. And I think it's a similar track, right? It's like, we do, we depend on, and myself included, like I depend on technology to tell me how to get places. I've been six times, like 
for all of these sort of absurd things. And so why wouldn't we depend on it more emotionally, especially in a world where we're really trying to focus and and kind of escape the chaos of our emotions? And so it was just like, yeah, turning that up a little bit. And and why can't, if we're looking at love as sort of a transactional thing and a practical thing as much as it is, or even more so than an emotional thing, why can't an app do that? So looking ahead to the festival, what are you excited about in terms of screening and kind of attending and uh, also, you know, being with an audience when you when you share the film? Well, this is our, yeah, our second Canadian screening. So we, we had our Canadian premiere at Fantasia, which was really thrilling um, just to sort of see it on, on home soil. Um, so this will be the second uh, public screening in Canada and it's sort of the other side. Uh, well, I'm in Vancouver, so for me, it's the other side. But um, yeah, I've, you know, I've never been to this festival. So I'm so excited that that the film is is making its way there. Um, sadly, I won't be able to make it, but I know Julia is going to be there flying the flag high for um, the film. Uh, so yeah, Julia, you have to tell us, you have to report back and fill us in on how the audience responds. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm just so excited. Um, I yeah, I have I I feel like I started writing in Halifax. I started writing at Dell. I started to figure out what my voice was, and I just had such a positive experience in Halifax. I thought about moving back, um, and I just haven't been there really since I graduated. And and so I it just feels really wonderful to get to come back with something I'm so proud of and and share that. Yeah. So, and I can't wait to see everything else and to sort of reconnect with people and, and just be in Halifax and, and celebrate films. I think it, I'm really excited about it. Madeline, in terms of being a Canadian producer, how, how difficult is it to actually get a feature like this off the ground? It's quite difficult. I mean, I think it's difficult to get independent cinema made probably anywhere in the world. I think that it's just sort of by nature harder than maybe it should have to be. Um, we did, I think in total, 22 grant applications for this film we did oh my god even kim looked surprised by that i thought i thought you were gonna say like maybe six <laughs> no we did a lot of applications um and we were really fortunate with you know the funding that we got and obviously having telefilm on board quite early really helped but um i think a lot of canadian producers kind of run into this challenge of finding the whole budget is really really challenging it's sort of it's one thing to get to kind of 75 or 80% of the budget. It's another thing to get to that last 20%. And um, yeah, we never really totally got there. So quite a few <laughs> of us didn't make nearly as much money as we probably could have given the amount of work we put into this film. So I think, yeah, independent cinema just truly is like a labor of love in that way. And yeah, it's, I mean, at least in Canada, I feel like it's considered an art form still, like you can get, still make films via the Arts Council, albeit with a smaller budget. But in the UK, it's not considered an art form. If you look at the way it's funded, you cannot apply to make films via Arts Council um, because they're considered commercial. They're not considered art. I think it's a mistake to be thinking of independent cinema as a commercially viable career. Um, and I think that we do as a, across the board need to really look at that and reframe what that looks like and what that means. Um, but yeah, I think Canada is a special place to make work, nowhere's perfect, but there is at least some kind of recourse to make independent cinema. I feel like this is like a, you know, you're all here. This was a real team effort, I'm, I'm guessing. 
have you formed like a totally new bond from this experience? Well, I think all our periods synced when we were at South Bay. <laughs> it <Coast>. did. <laughs> yeah. That, that is a special kind of bond. <laughs> for better or for worse, that is a special kind of bond. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've been, we've been on this together for five years plus and, you know, through the ups and downs, it was really hard, you know, it was really hard kind of, um, for all of us, you know, to just ride the wave and and get through the ups and downs. Then COVID hit, and we we still wanted to kind of push forward, and it was challenging, you know. And so that's why it's so um, it's like so great to be out the back end and be celebrating it now, and having you know it behind us and and looking forward to you know what how does how does this film kind of help us individually with our careers and um, and beyond, you know. So it's 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 really it's it's been a cool journey to be on all together. Um, and it's nice to kind of be out the back end as well, because it was it was hard. Like the indie films are hard. Awesome. So if anybody wants to come and see uh, the screening of With Love and a Major Organ, Julia, you're going to be at the festival. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Fantastic. So um, hopefully people can check the film out afterwards as well. Is there any way that you'll be able to view the, the film in the future? They can keep coming to our, the film festivals we get into. <laughs> just so you know, it's screening on Sunday the 17th at 1 p.m., um, I think in theater seven. Um, and yeah, we, we definitely have other festivals lined up. Um, some in Canada, some in the States, hopefully one in Europe. Uh, but yeah, I, it, it will be at festivals for the, for the foreseeable future. And then hopefully elsewhere after. Yeah, more news to come. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Kim, Anna, Julia, and Madeline, thank you so much for your time. Thank you yeah. so much for having thank us. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the 2023 Atlantic International Film Festival podcast. Don't forget that this guest and many more will be showcasing the best of international cinema across Halifax from September 14th to the 21st. You can find out more about the events and book tickets by visiting atlanticfilmfestival.ca. I've been Reese Waters. Now go watch a movie. <laughs>